We were in Matthew chapter 28 a couple weeks ago when we were able to baptize a couple of our young people in obedience to this command, uh, what we know of as the Great Commission. How many of you would say that you have experienced or are experiencing the salvation of the Lord? Okay. Uh, you can answer audibly. How many of you would say you are experiencing the salvation of the Lord? Yes. Okay. Is it always easy? No. And he is doing the work. He is. He has saved us um, by his grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us would boast. And yet... Even after having believed upon him for the salvation of our soul, there's this sanctification process that is taking place. And he has promised to complete that work. He is going to accomplish it. And yet our flesh is carnal. It is wicked. It is vile. It is in rebellion against the Lord and what he wants to do. His Holy Spirit, we have been born again by him. He lives inside of us. He is leading us in the way everlasting to the glory of God and our flesh is in rebellion and Paul described it. There's this war that is taking place within a born again child of God. There is a war taking place. It is raging and the spirit of God is leading and he is going to be victorious and our flesh is pulling and uh, the other direction. But we are experiencing the salvation of the Lord. And uh, I would ask you, if you are experiencing the salvation of the Lord, are you telling other people that Jesus saves? I have had the privilege of I have the privilege of being a father to four children. I have the privilege, I've had the privilege, and I've taken the privilege of telling my children that Jesus saves. And when in transparency, they come to me and then they share a fear, um, even when they were young and there was something under the bed or it was too dark in the room and there was a shadow on the wall, I could share with them that Jesus saves. And then as they've gotten older and they'll, they'll share with me maybe a fear, something that's taking place at school or maybe it's something that hasn't taken place at school. It's just in their heads, but it's very real to them. And I've been able to tell them. That Jesus saves. Now, I don't just say those two words, but that's in essence what I'm doing when I take them to Scripture and I remind them that we don't have to be afraid and that God is our refuge and strength and He's a very present help in time of trouble. Sometimes my children will come to me and they'll share with me, and sometimes church members will come to me and they'll share with me a personal struggle that they're dealing with. Maybe it's not fear, maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's something they've given into. And over and over again, I've been able to tell my children and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and sometimes some officers at Flint Township Police Department, Jesus saves. And it doesn't matter if it's a marriage or a young person. It doesn't matter if it's a, a loved, a, one who has lost a loved one or one who is going through a great trial. The truth is the same. Jesus saves. And again, I ask you the question, if you're experiencing, if I'm experiencing the salvation of the Lord in, in our lives, are we telling other people that Jesus saves? We are living in a unique time. 
in the history of the world. It's unique in some ways. In other ways, it's not so unique, I suppose. There always have been wars, rumors of wars, um, rumors of famine. Um, but it's interesting to me how much more open people seem to be right now. People are asking some very genuine questions. What is happening? What does the future hold? And there's a lot of answers. There's a lot of, certainly a lot of rabbit trails a person could go down in answering those questions. We could, we could wonder ourselves. We could allow fear to overtake our hearts. But there is one question, or there's one answer to that, to all those questions that is the same, and that is this, that Jesus saves. And so again, I ask you the question, are you, are you taking opportunity to tell loved ones and relatives flushing? Are you taking opportunity to invest in missionaries who are taking the gospel to other parts of the world with the truth that Jesus saves? Um, in our hymnal, there's a song entitled Jesus Saves. It says, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The second verse says, wafted on the rolling tide. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Tell it to the sinner, to sinners far and wide. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Sing ye islands of the sea. Echo back ye ocean caves. Earth shall keep her jubilee. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Sing above the battle strife. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. By his death and endless life. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom when the heart for mercy craves. Sing it in triumph or the tomb. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We, we know that song. But are we telling others? Are we telling others? Uh, sometimes, do you ever find that you doubt that he saves? Have, have you ever found yourself doubting? I'm not talking about death and hell. I'm talking about going through trials and tribulations of this life. Do you ever find yourself, your, your faith wavering? Your, yourself being overcome with unbelief? And uh, I suppose all of us would say yes to that and answer to that question. Now is the time for the body of Christ, the local church, to declare what we know to be true. To tell our relatives, to tell our friends, to tell our neighborhoods, to tell the world, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. In John... Chapter 4, Jesus actually tells us what he wants us to do by example. And I want you to turn there. John chapter 4 in your Bibles. John chapter 4. I had you turn to Matthew 28, and I didn't read it. Where Jesus had told us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he says, Amen. May it be so. Do you believe that Jesus saves? Yes or no? I, I suppose it's easy to be discouraged sometimes. Maybe you've told people that Jesus saves before and they did nothing with it. They didn't, get, they didn't trust Christ as their Savior in that moment. It's easy to be discouraged in that moment. It's easy to be afraid to engage someone with the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and that he was buried to take our sins away and he rose again and conquered death and hell. And there are times in our world, especially in the United States of America, a people that are wealthy and have full schedules and their lives are full of entertainment and that they look at us and say, well, what's the big deal? This has nothing to do with me. I have I, I have no need of a savior because I have everything that I need right now. But that does not change the need to declare the glorious message that Jesus saves. Now you're in John chapter 4, and we see here uh, this declaration that is made that Jesus is the Savior. Um, it's not the first time that this has been stated in John. Back in John chapter 1, in verse number 9, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 29 of chapter 1, the Bible records the next day John, the Baptist, seeing uh, Jesus, uh, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I want you to think of him that way. He has taken away your sin, and he has promised that he will take away the sin of who or whosoever will call upon his name. I mean, that is a glorious message. Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a relative who needs their sins taken away? They're dying in their sins. They are slave to their sin. They will be conquered by their sin. They are owned, mastered by their sin. And they will suffer for their sins for all of eternity. And the message of John the Baptist it was glorious. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We know John 3.16 well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, it is a glorious message that Jesus saves. Um, this summer, there will be a team of uh, some of our church members going to Peru uh, with medical missions outreach team. And they'll go and they'll try to meet some physical needs of people in Peru. And yet, ultimately, the goal is to give the gospel that people would not just receive physical sight or physical health, but spiritual sight. And that they would come to a saving knowledge that Jesus saves. Um, Pastor Scott will be leading a team to New York City here in a little while. And I've been there on two occasions as a teenager and um, a life changing trip where they will engage people in subways and children in the parks of New York City, and the gospel will be given, and there will be some young people and some adults who are in slave. They are slaves to sin now, but this summer, by the grace of God, they will hear the gospel for the first time. Some of them, some of them 
it'll, it's been planned, but they'll receive the gospel and they will pass from death unto life. And they will they will also begin to declare the message. Jesus saves. Um, later this year in September, um, we'll have Harvest Fest. There'll be teenagers, God willing, from all over the state of Michigan who will gather in that tent. They'll hear the word of God. And uh, some of them will come to the saving knowledge of Christ and they will declare Jesus saves. In July, we're going to have uh, Vacation Bible School. We're planning for that. We're going to go out a couple of Saturdays as a church. We're going to pass out door hangers. Um, we'll just hang them on people's doors. Inside there, there will be an invitation to Trinity Baptist Church. And there's an invitation to Vacation Bible School. And God willing, uh, by his grace, there will be some young people who will hear the gospel that week. And they will pass from death unto life. And they will join the chorus that we know to be true in our hearts. Jesus saves. We have a message. We have a savior. There is a savior. And as we talk about what it means to be a member of a church, what it means to to be a part of an assembly of believers, part of what the Lord has commanded us, commissioned us to do is to go into all the world Jerusalem, locally, Judea, a little bit further out, Samaria, people or places that we may not actually like. Um, The uttermost part of the world through missions. He wants us to declare the message that we know to be true in our hearts, that he has taught us by his word and is teaching us by his spirit that Jesus saves. And church, it is our responsibility. Many of you would agree that we are living in a very dark time. Many of us would agree that the the day in which we are living in currently is a day of intensified evil. And it's not on the political level. It's not on the national level only or on the political level only. You and I are experiencing it on a personal level intensified temptations. It is a day for us to declare as a church, Jesus is salvation. Jesus saves. We see it in this text in John chapter 4. The beginning of chapter 4, the Bible makes an interesting statement. In verse 4, The Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. We're not going to take much time with this, but the Jews did not like the Samaritans and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. There was uh, bigotry. There was hatred. There was animosity. There was racism. It was sinful. It was wrong. But they had a disdain for one another. And the Bible says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria and he needed to go through Samaria. And he was he was actually showing his disciples that there was no room for the racism. There was no room for the bigotry. There was no room for hatred. There was no room for looking at a certain group of people and and disdaining them and going to others. Because Jesus saves and he died for all. And there was someone in Samaria that Jesus wanted to meet, Uh, someone 
who he wanted to meet him. And not just this one lady, the woman at the, the well, um, but it was a whole village in Samaria. Look at verse number 13. We find Jesus talking to this woman. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, speaking about this well water, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. If you're studying out this passage, that's the shortest statement she makes in the entire dialogue. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her in verse 17, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that hast thou, uh, in that saidst thou truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now look down to verse number 25. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah, that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. So she knew that there was a prophecy that Jesus, that God was going to send a Messiah. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And what is Jesus saying by that statement? He's saying, Jesus saves. I am. Jesus was saying of himself that he was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. He was the promised one. In this passage, I find it amazing because Jesus allows his disciples, and I believe this is all by his appointment. We see that he is fully God in this passage. But Jesus ordered all of these events specifically, I think, not just for the salvation of this woman or the salvation of the town that she's going to go back to and say she's going to declare it. Jesus saves. Come see a man who told me everything there was to know about me. Jesus, the, the Christ is here. Jesus saves. And the people are all going to come out and they're going to get saved. And Jesus is going to spend two days with them. And in this passage, we find a beautiful example of what the Lord Jesus Christ wanted his disciples to do. You need to go through Samaria. You need to go to the people who you may not be friends with or may not be friendly toward you. And you need to tell them Jesus saves. You need to go into all the world. You need to go to your Jerusalem, your friends and your relatives. You need to tell them, your children, Jesus saves. And he, and he really gives an example, a lesson to his disciples of what he wanted them to do and thereby what he wants us to do. What he wants us to do. This world is going to pass away. Our wealth is not going to last. Our health is not going to last. Our entertainment is not going to last. We have a window of time to tell the world 
that Jesus saves. Sunday school teachers, when you come and you present the word of God to the children in Sunday school, take the opportunity to tell them that Jesus saves. Thank you for doing that. Now, those of you who work in RU on Friday nights, do not miss the opportunity and tell it again and again and again. Jesus saves. In the jail on Thursday nights, tell the men and the ladies, Jesus saves. School teachers, you teach in Christian school, many of you, take the opportunity, tell the children, Jesus saves. And yes, they need to learn science, and yes, they need to learn English, and yes, they need to learn math and all those sorts of things. But we need to tell the world that Jesus saves. Look at verse 27. And I notice, first of all, that to give the gospel is to declare that Jesus saves. Look at verse 27. He says, and upon this came, and upon this, this statement in verse 26, where Jesus says to her, I am, which is basically to declare that he was Jehovah. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, look at verse 27 where it says, And upon this, this very precise time, came his disciples. This In other words, Christ wanted his disciples to see him doing what he wanted them to do. I wonder how many of us as parents have given our children a good example to follow of telling others that Jesus saves. But Jesus gives his disciples this example of what he wanted them to do. The disciples are returning with food. They've returned to Jacob's well. At the very moment, Jesus is declaring to the woman at the well that he is the Christ. Now, if the disciples had arrived a little bit earlier, they would have interrupted the conversation, the Jesus, very personal conversation that Jesus was having with the woman. Any later, they would have missed Jesus' declaration. So God's timing was perfect. His timing is always perfect, isn't it? How many of us always like God's timing? How many of us know that God is always right in his timing? So the disciples are not too early and they're not too late. And they and when they come back, they see Jesus shattering barriers, societal barriers of prejudice. He's talking to a woman of Samaria. He's talking to a woman. I mean, he was breaking some societal rules in that day. They weren't this wasn't acceptable to some degree. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't acceptable within that society. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says to us in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, and, and follow me briefly, and I'm not preaching on those passages, but Jerusalem, that's your neighborhood or your family, that's Flushing, Jerusalem, Judea, 
a little bit further out from that. Maybe we could say Michigan, um, our county, um, Samaria. Oh, wait, wait a minute. And Jesus had to commission his disciples, I want you to go to your Jerusalem. I want you to go to your Judea. I want you to go to your Samaria. I want you to go to the people who don't like you. I want you to go to the people who disdain you. Why? Because Jesus saves. Because God did send his son. Uh, because he did love the world to become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Just as, if, just as God has saved us, God desires to save others. The person that cuts you off and you, you shout something friendly at as they drive past. Jesus died to save them. For those who may disagree with you politically, Jesus died for them. For those in other parts of the world, and many of us have been praying for the people in Ukraine, but we ought to pray for the people in Russia too, because Jesus died for them. Not just the people who are doing right. He died for sinners. It was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria because these people needed to be saved. So evangelism is to declare that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That is a very simple message. When a, when a co-worker is speaking to you and they're overwhelmed by life, to be able to look at them and say, Jesus saves. By the way, that is a statement of faith, by the way, for you and for me, because we have not gotten to heaven yet. And so it is a statement of faith. The Bible tells us that Jesus saves, that whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. And the Bible tells us that we are in the process of experiencing his salvation, but we have not reached heaven's gates yet. This old nature this sin nature has not been put off yet. And so we're going through this life. We're still, we're still enduring trials and temptations and personal failures and all these sorts of things and disappointments. And so for, for you and for me as a church, for us corporately as a church, to be bold in telling the world, Jesus saves, it is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. Evangelism is declaring Jesus saves. Number two, evangelism is Christ's priority. Another way I can put that is to give the gospel is the Lord's priority. So should our priority be what his priority is? Look at the text. Look at verse number 31. Verse 31, I'll read down through verse 34. The Bible says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, Saying, Master, eat. So they've gone into the town. They've come back with food, physical food. And they're saying, come on, Lord, teacher, please just eat, would you? Verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now, what is he talking about? Look at verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? Does any, do any of us know what was on the minds of the disciples? What were they thinking about? What were they consumed with? Lunch. That's what they were consumed with. They've journeyed. They're in Samaria. 
He must needs go through Samaria. Why? They didn't know, but they're there. They're hungry. They're dusty and tired. It's been a long day. And all they can think of is is food. They've said to him, uh, Lord, please eat. Just eat. Come on, sit down. I know this woman is here and and she's heading back, but just let's just eat, would you? And and he says, I have meat that you know not of. And they say, look at each other and say, did someone, did someone give him a sandwich? Did you give him a sandwich? Okay. I mean, all they're thinking about is their bellies. Verse 34, and Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What does Jesus mean by that? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father. God the Father. What did God the Father send Jesus to do? He says, my meat. Now, what does he mean by meat? Well, when they're thinking about meat, they're consumed with it. They just want to eat it. They just want it. They desire it. It's a strong desire for them. Hey, we have meat. Let's eat. I'm hungry. And you're saying, Pastor, you've got to move quickly or I'm going to be hungry too. Maybe you're all hungry already. So he's talking about desire. My desire, my hunger, my meat is to do the will of my Father, the one who has sent me. See, God's work, as it pertains to human history, is the salvation of mankind. I'll say that again. God's work, as it pertains to human history, is the salvation of mankind. How do we know that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Well, we see it in his priority. What is God's work as it pertains to human history? And the answer is the redemption of mankind. He, he purchased our salvation with his blood. Salvation. This is why God came to earth. In Luke 19 and verse 10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Isaiah, God calls himself the Redeemer of Israel and the earth. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That is His will. That's what He says. So God, by His nature, is a Savior. He is God and He is Savior. In 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, the Apostle Paul repeatedly describes God as God our Savior. And I asked you at the beginning of the message this morning, have you experienced, are you experiencing the salvation of God? And with a little bit of encouragement, you said, yes, resoundingly. Yes, I'm experiencing that. And that's how he's described in First, Second Timothy and Titus. God and Savior. In fact, God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. But still, he is the Savior of all men. Presently, God doesn't give sinners what they deserve. When they deserve it. If God did, we would all be dead the very first time we sinned. God is by his very nature a savior. He is patient. And he is full of grace. He is gracious. He is full of mercy. He is kind. And he is desiring that his mercy lead us to repentance. And so thinking about our text, Jesus is saying to these men, they're saying, Lord, eat. Come on, eat the sandwich we brought you. And he's looking at them and he says, physical bread isn't what brings me the ultimate satisfaction. Now, we know the Lord 
in his earthly ministry, he hungered. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't that he was um, he had, it wasn't that he supernaturally did not hunger or didn't desire bread. No, he he needed food to be sustained. He needed water to be sustained in his earthly life. But but physical bread wasn't ultimately what satisfied Jesus. He was saying, what satisfies me, what delights me, is the salvation of mankind, which is the will of Almighty God. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Listen to this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So look around as you drive home. The other day, is a Sunday or two ago, as my children, some of them were riding with me on their way to church. We saw a lot of people not coming to church. How many of us understand that less and less Americans are going to any church at all on Sunday? It's part of the darkness of our day. There's a great turning away. And I'm talking to my children, and I was not deriding or in any way uh, speaking evil of those who were not going to church. We don't go to church to check a box. We come to gather with God's people because we love the Lord and we love his body. We love his word. But I did draw their attention. Less and less people are going to church. I said when grandpa was a little boy, a lot more Americans went to church in that day. And if things don't change in America, as you get when you're an adult and you're taking your children to gather with God's people, a lot less people maybe going to church in that day, but you still need to go. Still lead your family to do that. But as you look around at our world in which we live, understand, do not forget that God is not willing that any of them should perish, but that all of them should come to repentance. Jesus went to the cross, and I love how Hebrews puts it, for the joy that was set before him. Think about that. What was his joy? What was the joy that was set before him? It was those who would be saved because of his sacrifice. That was the joy. The joy that was set before him was not the cross in and of itself. It was not becoming sin. Of course, we remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed, uh, uh, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. So that wasn't his joy, the suffering. The joy that was set before Jesus was all the people that were going to be saved from death and hell to come and from sin because of his sacrifice. And all those who will be made a part of the family of God and all those who will be able to join him with, with him in a great host and a great number someday in heaven. It says it this way in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Luke chapter 15, there's the celebration of finding the lost coin. Remember, she sweeps the house looking for the lost coin, which represents someone who is lost and needs to be saved. And there's celebration when she finds that coin. And then there's the parable of the lost sheep. And he leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one Like he came and he found you. Like he sought you out. 
Not when you were seeking Him and you were running away or you were totally consumed in your life, maybe in college or maybe in high school or or maybe as a child, you weren't seeking Him, but God found you. He sought you out. And there's the parable of the lost son. And the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over the salvation of one sinner. Luke 15, 7 says it this way, Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And Jesus is saying to His physically hungry disciples, He's saying, this is my meat. This is my desire. You, you're hungering for food, and I understand that. You desire earthly things, and I understand that. But Jesus says, this is my desire. This is what I desire. This is what I long for. I imagine Jesus looking down into the village as he says it. This is what I hunger for. We're going to see is from the text as we move, on, move forward that he could look down into the village where the woman at the well had run back to to tell them, come see a man who's told me everything. Is, the, is this not the Messiah? Is this not the anointed one? Is this not the Christ? I mean, she's run down there to tell them this. And now Jesus is talking with his apostles and they're saying, let's just eat lunch. And, and he says, that's not what I'm hungry for. This is what I'm desiring. And I imagine looking down into the village, we know that he could see down into the village. This is what I desire. This is my meat. The disciples and we as well need to know that this is what they were going to be sent to do. And we need to understand this is what we have been commissioned to do. I I appreciate so much the effort that goes into our services and the ordering of services. I appreciate so much our musicians, Mrs. Scott and Mrs. Pagan and the choir. They practice one hour a week. Uh, when most of us are still getting up from a nap on a Sunday afternoon and they to, to minister and others come in during the week and they practice and appreciate so much the preparation of, that goes into all that is a church in our day and age. But we cannot have all of these things and miss the commissioning that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us to take the gospel to a world that is full of people who are lost and dying people. And if they die in their current condition, they will go to hell for all of eternity. And Jesus is impressing this upon his apostles. All you can think about is your your temporal and physical hunger. But he says, this is what you ought to be desiring for. They needed to know Psalm 126 and verse 6 where it says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his seeds with him. I can remember the first time I ever uh, wept over souls. And uh, that's when I was a 16-year-old boy in New York City. And it dawned on me for the very first time, and Phil, you were there. It dawned on me for the very first time, though I had been saved at the age of five, there's a whole world of people who need to be saved. And in New York City, you, you have this city that's just full of bustling people. They're all going somewhere or doing something busily, much of it. Young and old, rich and poor. People of all backgrounds. And I can remember as a 16-year-old, finally it dawning me, Jesus, 
Jesus says, these people need the Lord. Remember going to Ireland on a missions trip later that summer, and again being confronted with the reality, people need to be saved. We're going to look at discipleship in the coming weeks. But there is no, and that's what we do here. That's what's going on here. But there is a desperate need for us to have the desire that Jesus has. And not just had, but has. This is what he desires. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. In John 15, Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. One of the greatest joys of Christ was doing the work of his Father in saving sinners. That was his joy. That was his exhilaration. It was his delight. Now, he is the Savior. We are not the Savior. But we are his followers. And we have been called as witnesses. Some people who have witnessed the saving power of Jesus Christ. People who, I'll put it in the present, are witnessing the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Him not letting us go. Him comforting us as we go through life. Him loving us in a way that nobody else has ever loved us before. And he wants us to tell the world, I know the Savior. I know the Savior. He is my Savior. I believe in him and he will save you. He wants us, wants us to plant the seed of the gospel and to water the seed of the gospel. And as he allows to reap the harvest of the gospel. So evangelism is to declare that Jesus saves, number one. Number two, evangelism is to partner with Christ because that is his mission. My meat, I have a meat you don't know anything about yet. My desire, my hunger, is what is about to happen. That's what he's saying. And it would be something that his disciples would embrace. They would come to know this. This would become their passion. Uh, Number three, evangelism is to partner with Christ. Evangelism Evangelism is to partner with Christ. Look at verse 35. He says, Say not ye, there are yet four months... And then cometh harvest. Now that's a common statement. How many of you put any plants in the ground this year for gardening or something like that? Okay. Have you been feeding the wildlife? Yes. Okay. Right. So I'm feeding deer, rabbits, I think, other things like that. Um, but when you put the beans, you put the the bean seeds in, it they, there's no nothing there, right? I mean, we haven't eaten a thing off of our bean plants yet. It's going to take some months for us to get any kind of a harvest. And Jesus is talking about that. Uh, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. 
And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Okay, what, what is Jesus talking about here? And, I'll, and again, in a point, um, to evangelize or to give the gospel is to partner with Christ and to partner with other followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about just followers in this room, but there ought to be a partnership with, with one another corporately to give the gospel. But do you realize when you give the gospel, you're partnering with the Apostle Paul? And you're partnering with Moses. You're partnering with other believers who are witnesses that Jesus saves. That the Lord, he is God and there is none else like him. You're a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew and he was prophesying to his disciples that these Samaritan people were going to be saved that day. He says, you're going to reap. You're about, you're about to reap like really close. Like today, you're going to see a harvest like you haven't seen yet. But you're going to reap something that you haven't, you didn't do any of the sowing. You didn't plant the seed. You're a partner with what other people, other seed have, have been planted. Now we know that Jesus knew the past. We read about that back in verse 17 and following where uh, the woman answers to Jesus and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband for thou hast had five husbands. And she was pretty quiet at that point. So Jesus knows the past. He knows our past. He knows everybody's past. And he knows the future. It's called omniscience. It's a big word for that God knows everything. He knew the woman's entire life story. And, uh, and so Jesus knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. But don't miss the picture here. Jesus is standing near Jacob's well. He's looking across a wheat field down toward the Samaritan village where the woman is gone. Look at verse 35, where he says, "There are, Say not there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And so when, when the wheat crop becomes ripe, ripe and ready for harvest, the top of the grain turns like a white or a cream color, a golden color. What was Jesus referring to here? Well, it seems to me that as Jesus looked out across that barren field, just planted, maybe or maybe a little just sprouting toward the Samaritan village, perhaps he and his disciples could see the townspeople. And the Samaritans would have been wearing what they normally wear, their ancient Middle Eastern attire, white robes. And it's common for people to say there are four months and then comes the harvest. That's the approximate time it takes for germination and ripening and all those sorts of things. Jesus, though, was simply referring to the fact that the harvest was four months away. There might well have been something green coming out of the ground, and the harvest of the earthly grain was still four months away, but here come the Samaritans, and they're robed in white, and they're ready to be harvested. And Jesus was saying, don't say four months. Don't say there's coming a day where we'll give the gospel. There's coming a day where we'll reap harvest. But that time's not now. We're in Samaria. We live in a hard time in the world. People are cold. People are preoccupied. People are distracted. They're not interested in the gospel. Don't say, uh, now's not the time. 
He says the harvest is now. Jesus was prophesying that these Samaritans were going to be saved that day and over the next couple of days. And notice what Jesus says to his disciples in the next verse, verse 36. He says, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Jesus is saying that those who labor in his fields and harvest enjoy blessings right now that are only known to those that gather fruit for eternal life. They're blessings of sowing the seed of the gospel. They're blessings to seeking to win your co-worker to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to go out and convince him to be saved. That is not your responsibility. Your responsibility and my responsibility is to tell this world and the people of this world of a truth that we have experienced and heard and know to be true. And the truth is this. Jesus saves. There is a Savior. And it's not political. There is a Savior and it's not global. There is a Savior and it's not economic. There is a Savior. It's not educational. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Look at verse 37. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. You're a partner with them in their labors. What does Jesus mean by this? He's saying you're going to reap what you haven't planted. Hmm. Well, who sowed the seed of, of the word of God in the hearts of these Samaritans? Have the disciples sown the word? No. Moses had. Moses had. You say Moses. Yes, they had the Pentateuch. The Samaritans had the Pentateuch. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And based upon those books of the Bible, they knew there was a Messiah. They were rejected of the Israelites. The Israelis hated them. The Israelis wanted nothing to do with them. And the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the Israelites either. So it wasn't that they were, had been won to the Messiah because of the goodwill of the, of the Jews. That, no, not at all. But they, they knew that there was a Messiah because of the writings of Moses. The Samaritans had an idea that uh, the Messiah from some of the Old Testament prophets, maybe John the Baptist, the woman at the well, certainly, she's run back to them and told them, come see a man like I've never met before. Come see a man who is the Christ. He's told me everything about me that nobody knows. He knows me and he's telling me to drink of living water and I'll never thirst again. So, so she has sown. Jesus would have been part of someone who has sown through the woman at the well, but he, even he has not been down in that village. But whoever had done the sowing, this is how it is. Some sow and some water and some reap. So this week, when you go back to your workplace, be a sower. Or maybe you've already sowed, but water, water. And maybe this week you'll reap. Are you sowing? Are you watering? Are you reaping? Because that is how the gospel is given. Because ultimately, though, whether you're sowing or watering or reaping, it is ultimately God who gives the increase. 
in New York City this summer, there will be sowing and there will be watering and there will be reaping. But ultimately, it will be God who is the Savior. Right? And that's true for, for, for a Sunday morning service. That's true for RU. That's true for the jail. That's true for Harvest Fest in, in September. It'll be true for Vacation Bible School. We're just a part. We're just partners with God in giving the gospel. How many of you want to be a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ in anything? I do. Sign me up. I mean, partnering with 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 uh, movements and societies and uh, you know that can be people can be disappointing, but to be a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to enter into their labor. You come at the end of their labor to reap the harvest. You're going to see, and it's interesting, these apostles, you're going to see something that you are going to see again. But it's not always going to be this way. You're going to see reaping today. They were going to see reaping on this day. But there were going to be other days they were going to be thrown into prison for sowing. Right? And there were going to be other days where they would be thrown into prison or beaten for watering. And sometimes they were going to be able to reap again a harvest like this. But this day was unique. They were going to see an amazing day. And how does Jesus know all of this? Well, because he's all-knowing. He is God. He's omniscient. He knows the past, present, and future. And look at what happens in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. That could be true for you, by the way. Some of your, your, your co-workers believe upon the Lord. For your speech, for what you've told them, Jesus saves, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. And so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. The prophecy of Jesus came true. Do you know that this never happened in a city of Judea? He had a need to go through Samaria. For some reason, the Lord has put us on this earth at this time in world history. He didn't put us here in the future. He didn't put us here in the past. He's put us here today. And he has saved us. And he wants us to tell the world in which we live that Jesus saves. Do you know the Savior? You say, Pastor, there's a lot about the Bible I don't understand. You don't have to understand the whole Bible to tell people that Jesus saves. You don't have to know what's going to happen in the fall elections to tell people that Jesus saves. You don't know, you you don't need to know all of the Addictions that a person has had or the struggle with addictions that they will struggle with in the future or the stumbling in sin that they have endured up to this point or will endure in the future to be able to tell them that Jesus is salvation, that the Lord God is salvation. And that's what Jesus told this woman. I am the Christ. I'm the Savior. That's what he told her. He was the Savior. And she ran back to her village and she said, come and see I found the Savior. I have found the Savior. What, what was her message? Jesus saves. And now, now all, all, all these people come out to Jesus and they're beseeching him. And, he, and he, for two days, he stays with them and he's going to teach them. And imagine he taught them about sin. And imagine he taught them about 
himself as the Savior. I imagine he talked about the resurrection and the, his crucifixion that was coming and maybe his kingdom that someday he would rule and reign for all of eternity. I, I can only imagine what Jesus taught these people over those two days. But he taught them that Jesus saves. Yeah, this never happened at a village in Israel. In fact, Jesus' disciples had been going in the villages of Israel proclaiming Christ, and they were getting tired of being rejected and mistreated, so much so that James and John, called the sons of thunder, actually came to Jesus on one occasion and asked him if they should call down fire from heaven on a city. But he hasn't called us to do that. He's called us to take the gospel and tell people that Jesus saves. So what happened in Samaria on this day never happened in Judea. When Jesus had gone back to Nazareth, his hometown, where he grew up, to preach one sermon, they tried to stone him to death. And I'm just trying to draw your attention to the magnitude of what was, what's actually happening on these pages. And so in Matthew 28 and verse 19, where Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them that to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to plant and you're going to water and you're going to harvest. But ultimately, God is the one who gives the increase. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. I have planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I'm nothing. I'm a spokesman to declare a message of the Savior. I am not the Savior. You are not the Savior. You don't have to have all the answers to fix every problem of everybody in this world. Well, what if they ask a question I don't know? Then tell them you don't know. But you can still declare to them, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I'm learning. I'm learning more about him. But he, he saves. I want to give you one truth more. Evangelism declares that Jesus saves. That was number one. Number two, evangelism is God's priority. Number three, evangelism is partnering with Christ. And number four, evangelism is to preach Christ is to proclaim Christ. That's very similar to the first, the declaration. But look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe. This is them, those who have been saved. Now they speak to the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying. For we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So these Samaritans, they'll come hustling and bustling. They go, she goes and tells them, come see a man. He is the Christ. Other cities in Israel had, Nazareth had stuck to stone him. Others accused him of being a liar. 
Some accused him of being filled with demons. But not this city in Samaria. These people all come bustling out in their Middle Eastern ancient white garments. These men come come to, to him. They want to know, is what she's saying true? They've heard her testimony, but now they're hearing the word of God. And they passed on that day from death to life. I want us to know we have, we have been commanded by our Savior to tell the world that Jesus saves. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. Isn't it? Don't you, don't you think this, this, the woman at the well, a woman with five husbands, Don't you think it was a privilege for her to be able to lead her village to the war? Don't you think so? Did she deserve to have that privilege? I don't think she deserved to have that privilege. I don't think I deserve to have a privilege to preach the word of God. He, he calls us ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. And there are times where you and I don't feel like being ambassadors. There are times where we want to, in our flesh, go and live for us. We want to set up an idol, a shrine to ourselves. We want the whole world, our entire lives, to revolve around ourselves to do whatever we want to do, to live for us. But it is a glorious privilege. It is a high calling to be called by God for him to commission you and me to tell the world about him. And he still allows us to live as we do. He still gives us blessings and riches to enjoy. But the message is clear. Go into all the world and preach the gospel that Jesus, that God has come and he has died and he was buried to take your sins away and he has conquered death and hell. There is a Savior. There is a Savior. Would you please... Give the gospel with me. I think Trinity is a unique church. There are some in our assembly that are very young in the Lord. You've not been saved very long at all. And there are others in this church who have been saved a long time. And you have been given tremendous instruction and training, experience. And I see this. I've watched you serve him faithfully. I've watched you endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I've watched you love the Lord more than you love yourself. I've watched you take the temporal things that God has given you, your wealth, your riches, your time, and invest it for eternity. I've watched you place the Lord first. And what I'm asking you to do as a church, not just those who are seasoned saints, but those who are young in the Lord, and some of us in between, I'm I'm asking you to join with me in telling this that Jesus saves. You know, there are, there are going to be missions trips going forward to go on. If you can take a short-term missions trip, then do it. It'll cost you vacation time. It'll cost you money. Uh, some 
have answered God's call to go to foreign fields, and they've left family behind to go do that. Um, this this summer in, in July, we'll go out as a church to hang these door hangers. We're not even we're not even asking you to to knock on the door, but just invite them to a place to an event where they can hear that Jesus saves. But it'll take two hours on both of those Saturdays. It'd be wonderful if we come go into Flushing. I'll have my family here too. Take a walk through Flushing and invite people to come meet the one who will save them. There are gospel tracks out here in the foyer. I have noticed that we don't go through very many. Not as many as I think we should. You know, when you go to a uh, restaurant, you leave a generous tip, leave a track. I've personally gone through all of these tracks and picked them myself. Because I don't want tracks that are going to mislead someone. I want, I want the truth to be given. To plant seed. To water. Tell people your story. Tell people. You don't have to tell everybody, but tell people your story. I mean, some people don't cast the pearl before a swine. In other words, you're not going to tell certain things about yourself to someone who's going to go to, on Facebook and update their account. Whoa. No, no, no. But to someone who's genuinely seeking, tell them your story. Tell them that you're a sinner. Tell them that you deserve death and hell. Tell them what the Bible says. Tell them that God loved you anyway, and he loves them too. There is no greater witnessing tool, in my opinion, than to give your personal salvation experience. But here's what I'm saying. Let's not get so enamored and engrossed in this world that is absolutely anti-Christ that in doing so, we are no longer for the Lord. We are just being carried along with the current of our world. What I'm saying is, as a church, let, let's let this be a part of our identity. Not that we've all arrived or five quick tips on how to wrangle someone into salvation. That's not what this sermon's about. This is about those of us who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, praising God that he has saved us and knowing that he has commissioned us to tell other people that he will save them too. And being dedicated to that end. Pastor Tolman, I'm going to ask that you come. And uh, I'd like us to all stand together. Take your hymnals. Turn to hymn number 643. 643. You can take this time. We're going to sing this, this chorus twice. It's not a long chorus at all. It talks about seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus. I think that's exactly what the Lord did for his disciples on that day. All you're thinking about is your hungry stomach. But what I'm seeing, I'm seeing, and that's very practical right now, isn't it? The hungry stomach. But what he said was, what, I'm, what, what, what I desire, what I long for, is, about, is what's about to happen. May that be our hunger. May there be some husbands and dads in this room that our children and our wives know that we want what our Lord and Savior wants. Do they know that?
maybe some of us need to ask God to forgive us for not wanting what he wants. And others, we can rejoice that he has chosen us to take the message to a world. Let's sing together. 